1 Peter chapter 1, we'll begin reading in verse 22. to say so and the word of the Lord says since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the spirit and sincere love for the brethren love one another fervently with a pure heart having been born again not of corruptible seed but of incorruptible through the word of God which lives and abides forever because all flesh is as grass and all the glory of men as the flowers of the grass. The grass withers and its flower falls away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Now this is the word which by the gospel was preached to you. Therefore, lay aside, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Lord, we love you, and we thank you so much for your grace. We thank you so much for your mercy, God, and we thank you because you are here today. And Holy Spirit, we just surrender all of our heart, all of our desires, Lord God. We yield everything that is within us unto you. And Lord, we pray in the name of Jesus that you would be glorified in these next few moments. And God, that you would give us ears to hear what your spirit is saying under your church. And Father, we thank you because we realize that you are holy and you are righteous, and you love us, God. And we just ask, Lord, that you would help us to not only hear your word, but obey it. We give you all praise and glory for this. In Jesus' mighty name, someone said, hallelujah. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. Glory to God. We have been dealing in the book of 1 Peter, and we are on this portion here and the truth the bible says here in the beginning in the in verse 22 it says since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the spirit the truth which is the word of god is like the beginning portion and the ending portion that goes into chapter 2 and verse 2 where the apostle peter communicates that we should desire the pure milk of the word of god and so god again puts like this sandwich in this area the top part he speaks of truth the bottom portion he tells us what that truth is which is the word of god and what i want to say is this is that the truth which is god's word is life transforming that truth is tested and has been tested by time and it has proved to remain timeless and that truth is tasty to those who are being saved by it. For some of us, we don't really care much for the Bible. For some of us, it really doesn't matter much. But the title of this message is Transform, Tested, and Tasty Truth. The truth of God is all of these things as the Apostle Peter communicates. Peter is now bringing us to the, to the understanding that Christianity is not solely displayed in our living hope or by our endurance of trials or by our diligence in studying all prophecy, but also by our devotion and our interaction with one another and so let me say this because a lot of times we will measure our lives because we are a person who has a smile on our face or we're a person who seems to have a hope that is living and vibrant and we feel like okay well I have that so I must be a good Christian or we will look at something and we'll say well you know what I've gone through hardship I've gone through difficulty I've maintained my faith through that and so I must be a good Christian or we will go on ahead and we'll be like man I dig in the word every day I'm 
diligent. I know every place of prophecy that has been fulfilled. And so I feel like I'm a good Christian. And then we feel, you know, sometimes we have these lists of things and we feel like I do this or I do that and I'm a good Christian. But here's the thing that I want you to realize. Being a Christian is more than just a checklist and it's more than just certain things that we do, but it's about a wholeness of life. It is not solely about having one area, but it is always, and this is the reason why it's important for us to recognize that we have never arrived. Because when you're like, okay, I'm doing good, I have a hope, I'm focused on heaven, thinking about Jesus, worshiping him, glorifying him, honoring him, doing those things that I'm supposed to do, hallelujah, glory to God, there's still more to grow. Because there's probably some prophecies you haven't looked up. There's probably some scripture you haven't memorized. There's probably some things that you don't know that the scriptures communicate. Hallelujah. There's probably some things here that, 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 that are not exactly the way they need to be. But Peter is going to enter in and he begins to talk to us about relationship with one another and how the word of God deals with us on that. And one of the greatest, it is not the greatest, but one of the greatest testaments to God's saving work in our lives, meaning that one of the greatest things that's communicate, that communicates that I am a Christian, that I've been born again, is because of my concern and because of my care for others. Especially those who call themselves Christians. When, when, when I become a Christian, something occurs in my life. When the word of God enters into my life and transforms my heart. When God begins to deal with my life, something occurs mightily. Something powerful happens. I am changed and transformed. We'll talk about that in a moment. But I begin to have a care. I begin to love people. I, I remember having conversations with people in the past. And after I sit down with them for just a few minutes, it's not like I even know them very long. In my heart of hearts, I'm not saying this because it's the religious thing but I just feel this love this care for this person that is a Christian and I could sincerely say that I love them and some people would look at me like are you crazy you just met me This, this, this guy, this guy, this guy's crazy. And it wasn't that. It was that God has done something in my heart. And so when I'm able to sit down and I'm able to see what he's doing in my heart and I'm looking at all that God has demonstrated in his love toward me. And what happens is I begin to develop something that is supernatural. It's not natural. And you know why I can say that and mean it? It's because God loves you. Hallelujah. And his love begins to flow through us. He pours out his love within our hearts. And so as Christians, we are supposed to have this care for our brothers and sisters. And let me say it like this, and this is going to be bold and probably very offensive. But here's the thing. You lie if you say that you love God, but you don't love his church. How can you say you love God whom you haven't seen and you don't love your brother who you do see? You can't. It's a lie. You're lying to yourself. You're not lying to anyone else. Definitely not God. It's lying when I say that I do not, that I'm not connected. I Listen, there's a whole lot of people, and let me say this because I want to communicate this. There are some people, you're in different places in your life, and some of you have been hurt in the church. You've been hurt by people, and so right now you're going through maybe a hard time really connecting with the body, and that's understandable. But there should be an understanding that you need to connect with the body of Christ because if you're not connecting with the body, how can you fully be connected with the head? You can't. Jesus is the head of the church. He is the head of the body. And so we have to be, if we say we, we love Jesus, we love God, then we should be wanting to connect with him. In other words, if I've been hurt in the past, if I've gone through some hardship, I've gone through some difficulty, what do I do with that? Do I just harbor that in my heart and decide, okay, that's going to be another brick for the wall that divides me from others? Let me say this. Coming to church on Sunday doesn't mean, hallelujah, God said, let there be light. Glory to God. I know y'all are like, why are we in the dark? I was thinking the same thing. But, you know, we've had some technical difficulties. Thank God for his mercy and grace. Amen? 
getting nervous for y'all. Y'all be out falling asleep and stuff like that. I'd be like, it's kind of warm in here. I'm feeling good. Oh, glory to God. But we have to have this, this, this desire, and, and, and as I was saying, we're not, we're, we're, just because we come to church on Sunday, come to church on Wednesday, that doesn't mean we're connected with the body. Because we can come to church on Sunday for me. I can come to church on Wednesday for me. I can come to fellowship for me because I need it. That doesn't mean that I'm connected with the body. I'm not connected with the body when I don't feel the pain that the body is going through. I'm not connected with the body when I don't feel the issues or the situation, when I'm not concerned about what's going on, when I'm not connected like that. That's not being connected. God wants us to be connected one to the other. He's communicating to the church, and he will deal with this, and he will show us as we move on next week. We'll look at how he's building this spiritual house, but you've got to get this down in your spirit and in your heart. You cannot love God without loving me. Hallelujah. Because I'm part of the body. Glory to God. I can't love Jesus without loving you because if you are a Christian, you are part of the body of Christ. Therefore, we have to love one another. We have to be concerned about other people. So the first thing I'd have you repeat after me is this. Please say relationships in the church will only be kept by what brought us to faith. Relationships in the church will only be kept by what brought us to faith. Let me explain what I mean. Nobody in this place has ever, or, or, or nobody on this planet, let me say it like this, will ever come to Jesus without the word of God. Did you hear what I said? The moment you say Jesus, that's the word of God. Hallelujah. You cannot come to him without his word. You cannot come to him with repentant, with a repentant heart without the preaching of the gospel. It may not be the same. It may not be, you know, the same in every, you know, situation. But the fact of the matter is none of us that are in here that are Christians came to Jesus without the word of God. Doesn't mean you came to Jesus sitting in a church while someone was preaching. For me, I came to Jesus. My mother began to communicate the word of God to me, and my heart was repentant as the Holy Spirit dealt with me, and I came to Jesus on a Friday night. Wasn't in church. Wasn't anything like that. Others of you had conversation with people. Some of you were driving in your car, pulled over, and said, you know what, God? I recognize you're calling me, and right now I'm repenting of my sin. But the bottom line is, it is the word of God that came into your life. And so what I'm saying is, what brought you to faith is the, is the Spirit-empowered word of God and that is what is going to keep relationships the way that they're supposed to be so we want to keep relationships based on other stuff based on interest based on different things but the fact of the matter is the body of Christ cannot operate like that because sometimes our interests will change Sometimes we may be interested in something, but we're incapable of participating in that interest. We're not able to do those things. But, but if our relationships are founded upon the word of God, if our relationships are founded upon a bond that is in scripture, that is the Bible. And it doesn't mean, let me say this, it doesn't mean you got to walk around and every time we get together, all we talk about is the Bible. It doesn't mean that. It means that our lives are knit together by something greater than anything that is in this world that is natural. And our lives are knit together because of the gospel, because of the word of God. As a result, he, the, the apostle says, please read me in verse 22. He says, since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the spirit. And so we obey the truth of God's word because the spirit of God enables us. He brings to life that word. In sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. Having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible, through 
through the word of God, which lives and abides forever, because all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as the flowers of the grass. The grass withers, and its flowers fail away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Now this is the word by which the gospel was preached unto you. And so the apostle communicates and he says, listen, you responded to the preaching of the gospel. You heard the word of God. And, and in that response, your soul was transformed. The Bible uses terminology here again in, in the second verse, in verse 23. He says, and you have been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible seed. And so what he's saying is this. He's saying something occurred inside of you. And you can write these scriptures down. The book of John chapter 3, the gospel of John chapter, chapter 3 verses 1 through 8. Jesus is having a conversation with a guy by the name of Nicodemus. And in this conversation, they're talking, and Nicodemus is, you know, asking him about things about the kingdom. And Jesus comes out and says that in order for you to see the kingdom, you must be born again. You must be born of water and of the spirit. And so questions come up about that. I'm going to give you the reference text to that particular conversation and what Jesus was talking about. It is in the book of Ezekiel, chapter 36, verses 24 to verse 27. And in the book of Ezekiel, it is Ezekiel giving a prophetic word about what God is going to do. And what God is going to do, he says in there in the book of Ezekiel, that he is going to give you a new heart. That he is going to wash your heart. He is going to take that heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And that is what is called regeneration. Say regeneration. Being born again means that I'm regenerated. It means that I'm given a new heart and given a new life. And you know why some of us can sit here and we don't, we're not moved, we're not motivated, we're not stirred to anything. It is because we have not been regenerated. We find that Christianity is boring because we have not been regenerated. We find that worship and praise is not interesting because we have not been regenerated. Above all things, we find the Bible to be something irrelevant to our life. It is because we have not been regenerated. See, here is the reality. The reality is that because I've been regenerated, I don't look to any other religion. I don't look to any other place for answers. I look to the Bible because that is the source of my hope. That is the source of my life. I'm not looking outside of Jesus to find things because I found Jesus or Jesus found me. However you want to look at it, the bottom line, I was lost and now I'm found. Glory to God. And so the truth of the matter is, if we have not been regenerated, we have not been born again, then there is an issue. He says you've been born again by an incorruptible seed, meaning that you have not been given life by something that is going to die. Did you hear that? You have not been given life by something that is going to die, but you have been given life by something that continues on, that has permanence and never, ever stops. He says, you have been born again, not by an incorruptible seed. I mean, not by a corruptible seed, but an incorruptible seed. And so he communicates, and he says, you have been born again. And, 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 and look, at, look at what he does. He ties all this in with relationship. He says, love your brothers. He says, for the love of the brethren. So God saves us, and he brings us into a new family. Hallelujah. Look around and say, hey, I'm your fam. You, you may not like me, but I'm your fam. Hello. You may not know me too well, but you should get to know me, right? Because we're family. Glory to God. This is, what, this is what the apostle Peter communicates. He says, you have been born again. He says, to love the brethren. He tells us to love the brethren fervently. The reason why it connects the word of God to this is because anything else is going to fade away. God, you, you cannot separate God from his word. And so what he is saying is that relationship is going to be kept by God, by God, his word, by God, his spirit. That's how we are going to be able to maintain relationship as family, the way that he says. 
As with any family, here's the beauty of this. Some of y'all are going to be like, this is not too beautiful. But here's the beauty. Is that as with any family, I was talking to someone the other day. They said, I don't even know if there's a such thing as a functional family. Every family has some kind of dysfunction in it. Hello. There's no perfect family. None of us have arrived yet. There's some area where we are deficient. And that is why we are able to see the grace of God. Because if we were perfect, we would not have need for God. Hallelujah. It doesn't mean that we don't grow beyond those perfections. But what it does mean is that we understand that as with any family, the church is no different. Issues will arise. And, and, and Peter says that we must love brethren fervently in our love toward one another. What it means, that word fervent, it means to exert energy. And it, it means it in an athletic sense. In other words, you need to be prepared for this. You need to strive after this love. There are going to be things that are going to challenge that love. And you have got to determine that you are going to win against sin. That you are going to win against division. That you are going to win against offense. That you are going to win against those oppositions to relationship. That you are going to win against even your own desire to lock yourself up in a shell in a box and never talk to anyone. That you are going to strive fervently after the love of my brother and my sisters that I am not going to allow anything to hinder that that's what he's saying he's saying the only way that this is possible is through the incorruptible word of God it is by the word of God being the very thing that keeps us the word of God being the very thing that empowers that love that we have towards one another See, here's the thing. In the natural family, we're all born, same bloodline, you know, from, from birth. And, you know, we grow up in the same home and we still have issues. We still have issues. You have, you, you, you have, you have kids. I mean, some brothers and sisters. I was, I was talking to my wife the other day about my brother Nathan. I love him, man. I wish he was here so he could hear this wonderful testimony I'm about to give because I was a horrible brother. And he would probably be happy to hear that. But um, I, I remember being a kid. And, and I don't know what it was. I was the, I'm the oldest of six. And, and I remember my, my, my brother Nathan, I, I think Nathan is probably, he might be three years, I don't even, I'm so, that's horrible. But um, he's, he's probably like three years younger than me or something like that. And so Nathan, you know, he always wanted to be around me. And, and I was like, dude, I don't, I don't want to be around you, man. I want to go and hang out with my friends. You can't be coming to hang out with us. And, you know, he wasn't fast enough to play football with us, you know, when we first moved into this one neighborhood. And, um, you know, he wanted to come do wrestling. And I'm like, dude, you can't do that. You know, you're not big enough. And so as time progresses, you know, he gets obviously a little bit older, gets a little bit faster, you know, and now it's like three years doesn't even matter. It's all, you know, level playing field or whatever the case is. And so, you know, I was, I was really like, when I was a kid, I mean, I used to watch wrestling and I'd be like, yo, I want to see if that works. And I would try it on my brother. <clears throat> Serious. I, I'm telling I was mean, man. I'm having a confession moment right now. Um, and so I would do stuff. I remember one time, and I, and I used to like to watch karate movies, right? And so, and, and look, I, I'm not lying to you. I swore I was Bruce Lee. And so my, my brother, he would be, what, we'd be arguing or something like that. And one time, i never forget this, my mom left the house, and it was him and I, and he was walking. You know, we, there's like a, a day bed that we had in our kitchen. And he's walking down this day bed, and he's, we're arguing. And I, and I threw a kick, and I kicked him like this, and I hit him right in the face. I busted his lip open. And he ran into the bathroom, and I was like, Nathan, I'm sorry. Open the door. Because I knew I was going to get my butt whipped. I wasn't, I wasn't really worried about him. I was worried about me. That's how some of us are, though. We just want to get right with each other. It ain't because we care about the fact that we offended them or we hurt them. We just want to come be able to lift our hands to Jesus. Y'all ain't saying nothing. Y'all thought Bishop forgot he was preaching. No, I didn't. Uh-uh. 
Some of y'all, you, you, you just apologize because you feel guilty in front of God. That's what I mean. You don't care about no one else. It's really all about you. I had somebody do that. They called, they called and said, Bishop, we were taking communion and I was convicted. I thought they were coming to repent. All they wanted to do was like wash their hands and walk away. Hello? They didn't care about me. They didn't care about anything. that They really just cared about themselves. That's selfish. It's not the way it's supposed to be. And so, my, you know, my, my little brother, getting back to the original story I was telling you about him, I was a horrible brother, man. And he was over here, you know, wanting to run with me and all this stuff. And I remember one day, I heard him really bad this time. And this is like probably the last time that I remember hurting him. I got beat pretty bad for this. Um, but we were playing football, and there was this other kid in my neighborhood. And, you know, normally you would think your brother would want, you know, me as the older brother, I want my little brother to win the game, right? I was an idiot. I didn't want my little brother to win. I was like, I don't want you to win, man. <laughs> I don't know what was wrong with me. Horrible, horrible. <laughs> I remember my brother, you know, he's intercepting every guy. I was playing all-time quarterback. He's intercepting every throw that I'm throwing. This kid couldn't score on him. I'm like, man, what is up with this kid? I want to punch another kid in the face. I'm like, what is wrong with him? And so I throw the football as hard as I can throw it. And it slips through the kid's hands, through my brother's hands, and hits my brother right in the eye. And knowing what I know today, I'm like, man, God was merciful because my brother could have lost his eye with that football throw. The point of the matter is, I was horrible. I didn't have this love for you. You don't have to agree like that, all right? We didn't didn't need that witness, all right? That was before Jesus, all right? Before I knew any better. The point of the matter is that in families, the reason why I bring this up is because in families, there's some issues. Not everybody's horrible like me. I mean, you know, I know y'all were perfect brothers and sisters and stuff like that. But ultimately, the thing is that even in these families, we grow up together. Everything is cool. Like now, I like to hang out with my brother. I, don't, I wouldn't try to beat him up. I wouldn't try to, you know, do wrestling moves on him or anything like that. I wouldn't do anything like that. I want him to succeed in life. But, but ultimately, what would you say? No, I wouldn't. <laughs> I'm the oldest. I will always be the oldest. And ain't, no, ain't no one getting whipped here, glory to God. Hallelujah. I'll let you know that right now, all of them. We'll take that one to the bank. But anyway, back to the spiritual things over here. Glory to God. At the same time, we're going gonna to be all right. I'm going to pray for you and witness to you while I show you what time it is. But anyway, anyway, remind you of them days. <laughs> Glory to God. Pastor Robert, you ain't right, man. You give me the... Anyway, issue is families have issues. We have problems. There's things that rise up. Kids are different. Look at Caleb and Isaiah. Two different kids. Caleb be like, you know, chilling, you know, relax. Isaiah, chill, relax. Right? Caleb is like ready. He's like the Caleb in the Bible. Yo, let's go take some mountains right now. Right? I mean, it's just different. Same parents. It wasn't. wasn't, Same parents. They they came together loving on each other. Right? Good time. Produce a baby the same way both times. Right? (laughs) They're both a gift from the Lord. They're different. They're going to have different challenges with these kids. Different situations going to happen. Here's what I'm trying to tell you. In your home, it's like that. In the church, it's even worse because we were raised in the same family. Not only do we have different temperaments, not only do we have different experiences, but we've also got some different dispositions from those temperaments and experiences. And you know what we all have to do? Here's what makes it so difficult. Because every one of us that is sitting in here is called to conform to the image of Christ. Amen. Not a form of him, the, the image of Christ. We are all supposed to become like Jesus you know how tough that is? You know how hard it is to deal with folk that are trying to, like, transform glory to God? 
I mean, you know how hard it is. I mean, you know how many people are offended? I, go, go ahead and just start witnessing. Get real crazy about witnessing and start talking to people. And you'll start to realize there's a lot of folk that have never been to church, never heard anything about Jesus. But then you're going to find that there's a whole lot of other people, been to church, grew up in church, been hurt in church, got all kind of mess from church. Why? Because they experience the negative part of this transformation process. They experienced someone in their ugly moment, and because the grace of God was not operating in their life sufficiently, because maybe their heart wasn't right, maybe they weren't mature enough, maybe they weren't surrendered enough, maybe they didn't have enough good teaching, good counsel, whatever the case may be, what happens? They end up taking that offense, and rather than fervently running after love and forgiveness, they decide, now you know what, forget the church. They know they have a need for God because most people, they understand to some level they need God. You know, unless they're, you know, you're like an atheist and you just don't believe in God or whatever the case may be. But the bottom line is most folks, even if they don't pray, when they go through hardship, please pray for me. Why? Because they know that you know God or something about God and they understand they need his help. People may not do anything with them, but they realize that. And so what happens is in church, we go through these hardships. We go through these difficulties. We go through these trying and these testing times. And what the apostle Peter is communicating, he quotes Isaiah chapter 40, verses 6 through 8, when he says that all grass, all flesh is as grass and all of the glory as man as the flowers of the grass. And what he's saying is saying, listen, the word of God is what regenerated you. The word of God is why you are born again. The word of God is what is purifying your heart. The word of God is what is going to enable you and keep you loving one another the way that you should. That is what's going to keep you in that mindset and in that mode. And what he's saying is he's saying, listen, all flesh, what he reminds us is this, is that people will fail. People, all flesh, not some flesh. Everybody in here, listen, I don't care if you only fail once, you failed. I don't care if you only drop the ball one time, you drop the ball. You and I are no different. I may drop the ball ten times and you, you may drop it once. But here is the point. The point is all flesh will fail. And when he says fail, he's meaning, he, he's, he's meaning that all flesh comes to an end. Every man dies. What I'm simply doing is giving you a practical application because all flesh will fail. All flesh will fall short. And then he goes on and he says, and all the flowers, they are going to, they, they will, all of these things wither. And so when he's talking about the flower, he's talking about all of our accomplishments, they will cease to be. So while we strive to be, you know, have great names and we strive after all of these accomplishments, you know what? At the end of the day, all of that stuff will fade away. How many people, you know, you, you said Pastor Robert, he set records running track. I don't think they haven't broken the track record over there in your high school yet, right? But I bet you every kid that comes up on that track field that runs that race that he ran, you know what their goal is? I want to break that record. I want to break that record. I'm going to break that record. They just, you know, they haven't, they, they just haven't been able to do it. But the bottom line is they want to do that. Will it ever happen? I have no idea. But here's what I do know is that whether or not that, that, that is going to happen, all of that is not going to matter at the end of time. All of that will not matter at the end of time. What, I don't care how, how, how highly you grow in your company. I don't care how many promotions you get. I, it, all of that doesn't matter. Sometimes we strive after those things. I don't care how much money you have in the bank. All of those things do not matter. At the end of the day, it will all fail. The only thing that will endure is the word of God. 
The only thing that is timeless is the word of God. The only thing that cannot be broken, cannot be proven wrong. Men have tried centuries after century, generation after generation to disprove the word of God and have been proven wrong over and over again. More people have been converted trying to disprove the Bible, reading the Bible, get saved because of what? Because the word of God endures forever. And when you put it to the test, you will be proven that it is right and you are wrong. Period. The word of God endures forever. And because this word endures forever, because God's word never fails, because God's word never ceases, there's some things that should be evident in our lives as well in our dealing with one another. The second thing I ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, if we are not growing in grace, our relationships will not flourish. Read with me from verse 2, I mean from, from chapter 2, verse 1 and verse 2. We'll just read verse 1. He says, therefore, laying aside, remember I talked to y'all last week about those therefores. He says, therefore, looking back at all of these things, because of the word of God that endures forever, because of the gospel that was preached to you, because you have purified your soul, because you have been born again, therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking. Daily, every day, church, we have a battle waging in our souls. If you are a Christian, you have a battle that is waging in your soul, and it is and it is either for you to feed on the Word of God in obedience, or for you to feed your carnal desires. Our choices determine our spiritual growth or death. Every day, there's a battle going on inside of us, and here's something that I, that, I, that that I want you to understand. A couple of years ago, I was in my yard, and, and I think it was a time during a drought or something like that. It was really cold out, and I noticed something in my yard. I, there was this weed. You know, there was like these weeds that were just popping up all over the place. The grass was dead, dried out, but these weeds were thriving and living. And I remember looking at that, and I was like, man, it's amazing. You don't have to do anything to make a weed grow, but you got to work to kill them. The grass around it was dead. There was no life around that weed. You know what I found later on is that while the grass thrives and it looks good, sometimes those weeds, they just pop up. You thought you dealt with them, they'll pop up somewhere else. See, this is the same thing with our lives. You need to understand, you don't have to do anything to feed your flesh. Your flesh is going to be what it's going to be. But if you are feeding your spirit, that is your greatest denial of your flesh. If you are feeding and feasting upon the word of God, then what happens is your flesh has to die. Your flesh has to die. It's important for us because we make these decisions. What will happen is we can end up in our own spiritual drought. Where all of the good stuff in our life is dead. And all we see is these ugly, nasty weeds. You know what God wants to do? He wants to remove the weeds and he wants to bring life to you. He wants to remove those weeds, and he wants to bring that new life that comes from his word. That's what he wants to do. But we have to make these choices daily. The apostle Peter says, listen, the word of God endures forever. He says, but you need to lay some stuff aside. And he gives us these five, these five things here. He says to lay aside malice. We look at this word malice. This word malice, I'll give you one, one word or, or a, you know, a compound word here that will define really what it is. And it is ill will. Malice, it's having the wrong, it's about motive. It's about intention. It's about having the wrong heart. 
Another, another way to define this is it is a feeling of hostility or strong dislike with a possible implication of desiring to do harm. When there's malice in your heart, and I want you to realize this, this stuff matters in relationship. Because if you have malice in your heart towards someone, towards a group of people, some people, and I'll say this, some of the ladies, you're not going to like what I'm about to say, but, you know, some ladies say, all men. It ain't all men, ladies. (laughs) That is amazing. I love you, Ivan. All men. It ain't all men. It's the ones that you've dealt with. (laughs) it ain't all men it's the ones that you've dealt with right (laughs) it's the same thing let me balance out the statement it ain't all women see man y'all were supposed to be like that's right bishop it ain't all men but y'all ladies were like amen everybody saying amen all the ladies glory to God It's not, but we get in our heart, we have these feelings towards people, and sometimes it's a group, and we say like, that's why we say, man, the church, this is how they are. No. No. It's not everybody. Some people are going through stuff. Everybody's being changed, challenged, transformed. Everybody's being processed. That's absolutely true. And you may have caught someone at a bad moment. And then there's just some people, man, they're just unrepentant. Listen to me. There are some people in the church. This is sad, but it's a reality. There are some people in the church. They know how to talk Bible pretty well. But at the end of the day, you know where they're going? They're going to go straight to hell. That's just factual. There are some people. There are some people in the church that you see that they're going to be next to you. And they're not going to be in the same line as you are. And that goes on both sides because you may be in the wrong line and they're going to be in the right one and you're going to be in the right one and they're going to be in the wrong What I'm saying is that the Bible, the Bible talks about goats and sheep in the same place. At the end of time is when all that stuff is going to be separated. That's what the Bible says. That's what I'm communicating. This is what the scriptures teach. And so, yeah, we need to be defenders of the faith. We need to be living righteously, and we need to confront sin and unrighteousness in a godly manner, in a loving, and a humble manner, because we care about the souls of those who proclaim the name of Jesus and who are in danger of going to hell. We should care about that. That should matter to us more than us being liked by everybody. But the reality is that we have these relationship things that go on, and sometimes they produce this ill will. They produce these intentions that are inside of us that are just wrong. They're just wrong. He says you need to put that away. You need to get rid of that. You need to get rid of those feelings of malice. You need to cast that off. Lay that aside. That's not the word of God in you. That is not the scriptures trying to come to life in you. That is not a confirmation that you don't need to connect. Let me say that again. That is not a confirmation that you don't need to connect. That is not a confirmation that you don't need to love those people. That's not what that is. That's something wrong. That's something in your heart that is incorrect. And it springs up. You get offended. You get bothered. You see something that looks like something else. You see something that you've experienced. Maybe you were abused in the past. And someone just begins to say something that sounds like your father. Sounds like someone who used to hurt you. And all of a sudden, something rises up inside of you. That's not Jesus. That's not discernment. As we always say, you know, it's like, it's, it's not. It's malice. 
And we need to recognize that because that will hinder relationship. He goes on to say, get rid of deceit. The word deceit, I mean, it's pretty self-explanatory, but it means craft or trickery. It means guile. This is the way that I saw it when I looked at it. It is saying or doing things with ulterior motives. This happens in marriage. I would imagine I've been in some counseling sessions where I've heard this. Nobody in here has been in those sessions, so I'm not talking about you. I just want to clarify that because you know how people are. But anyway, it's not you because you weren't in there. Hallelujah. Amen. Glory to God. So y'all are great. It's just the ones that are not here, right? Praise the Lord. <laughs> the in counseling sessions, right? You're, you're talking to someone and, you know, you're here. And someone will say, you know, I left those dishes there just to test them. I did this just to test them. Are you serious? And you don't think that's being deceitful? You're giving them a test, not even letting them know like a teacher would, hey, this is a pop quiz. <laughs> Listen, babe, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to leave the dishes here to see if you really want to help me. Instead, you know, he or she says, you know, I'm sorry, haven't been helpful, yada, yada, yada. You're like, I'm going to see if he's for real. Let's see if he really means what he's saying. I'm going to do this. And you feel justified, obviously, because they're telling the bishop about that. They're like, Bishop, this is what I did. And he showed me. (laughs) He proved that he wasn't serious. That's how I know. Really? Glory to God. You are crazy. (laughs) Where do we... Y'all got to forgive me. I'm a little sick today. I can't can't laugh. You're out of your mind. You're saying you love this person, you care about this person, but you're testing them and they don't even know they're being tested. And then, right, it's a setup. (laughs) It's entrapment. That's what that's called. The the police can't even be doing that stuff legally, okay? That's what that was. You knew they were going to fail because you knew it. That's why you set up the test. Do not be deceitful. Put that away. Be honest. You know, you say things in Spanish, you know, con doble sentido. You know, you have like two different meanings to what you're saying. Don't make people read between the lines. Tell them what they're supposed to be reading. Tell them. I'm talking about you. Right? I'm I'm talking to you. I'm talking about you. I don't want. Yeah, you. You suck. That's it. I meant you. Hey, I repent later. Right? But just be, I mean, get the seed out of your heart. Don't be smiling with people when you can't stand them. Be like, man, look, I need to hug you. We need to talk. Right? Just, just what, you, you, know, you know how fake some of us are? You just, you can't stand folk, and you don't even do anything about it. You just be like, God bless you. Really? That's deceitful, man. That, that is not being honest. I know you're being spiritual about it, and you're going to pray about it. Hopefully the Lord deals with you on it. Really? Okay, and how long are you going to pray about that? Because you've been here for like a year, two years, smiling, acting like that. So when is it that you deal with that? Right? It's deceitful. Put it away. Get it out the way. Listen, I have learned something. And in a little bit of time that I've been in ministry, this is what I have learned. Sometimes, and I'm just saying this, some conversations, there's never really a right time. There's never really a right moment because when the moment is right, you don't even want to bring it up because it's so good. And when the moments are bad, you know that that's not the right time. So here's what I do. Just schedule the time. Make it happen. Do you hear what I'm saying? 
Sometimes I'm, I'm just waiting for the right moment. Listen, you, you're never going to find that right moment. It is difficult. You, sometimes you just got to go against your gut. You got to go against your, you got to go against every fear, everything, and say, listen, we're going to talk. That's just what you have to do. And just, listen, premise the conversation with, listen, this is going to offend you. This is a tough conversation for me to have, but I, there's no easy way to say. There's some things that are just not easy to say. How do you tell someone their breath stinks in a nice way? Oh, man. What's up? You want some gum, bro? I mean, did you really help them with their problem for the moment, but they're going to come to you next week, halitosis. Right? Help a brother out. Help a sister out. Be like, man, you hurt me, man. I love you, but man, right now, having some facial surgery here. Right? I mean, I'm just messing with y'all. But look, man, I mean, what I'm saying is there's no easy way to tell someone that. There's not an easy way to do that. You know, you see someone with a booger, right? And it just says, how, how is that easy? Glory to God. I know because I just knew it wasn't going to be easy. I was like, hey, you got something on your nose. And she dropped everything. Ah! Glory to God, right? <laughs> but we, you let folk walk around looking crazy. Got stuff in their face and just looking. Tell somebody, yo, you got to clean that up, man. Take care of that. But some of that stuff is not easy. In relationships, see, that's just, that's like superficial stuff. In real relationship, there's some stuff that's much deeper than that, man, that you need to communicate with folks, that you need to talk to them about. But can I say this? If you're the one that needs to talk, you need to be prepared to talk. If you're the one that someone wants to talk to, be mature enough to take the talking. Because sometimes we got a whole lot to say, but we don't want to hear what other folk got to say to us. Right? And so it is important that we get this deceit out of our mind, that we get away from that. And then he goes on and he says, hypocrisy. Get the hypocrisy out of your life. We all know what hypocrisy is, right? Because, you know, we hear it all the time. Christians are all hypocrites, don't we? <laughs> let, me, let me say something. Everybody on the planet is a hypocrite. It's not just reserved for Christians. You become a Christian, now you're a hypocrite. That's just it. You know, you know what the word means? The word means to, the acting of a stage player. So what it means is you learn to play a part and you do it. How many of y'all hate your job? Don't raise your hand. You know, don't. But you go in there, smile on your face, doing your job. While you're, right? You love that? You're acting like you do. You're playing a part. Listen, I'm not saying, be like, Bishop, is that being a hypocrite? Yeah, to some degree. The point is, some of you can't get out of that position, right? So you have to work through stuff. Here's the thing that I'm saying. The point of the matter is hypocrisy. Just be real. Just be real. It all ties in with deceit there because it's really, that's what hypocrisy is. I'm being deceitful. Some of you, you know, I mean, come on, man, be realistic. Some of you, you just have to play the part at your job because you know what? That's the only place you have to work. I'm not telling you to leave your job because you don't want to be a hypocrite. That would be crazy. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, man, ask Jesus to help you to be gracious in your work. Ask Jesus to, this is the one thing you got to do. And, and I tell you this from experience and being in jobs. I love my present job. This is the best job I've ever had. Glory to God. Hallelujah. But prior to this, I had some jobs that I hated. I hated. And I would do this. I would pray for God to give me grace in order to be able to do the job the best that I could and that he would either sustain me there or he would open another door for me. And that's how we did it. And we walked together in that. We walked, God and I walked together in this for me to honor the employers and honor the job situation. And so 
ultimately, everybody on the planet, though, here's what you got to realize. Forget the job thing. People are hypocrites. We do it with family members. We do it. We do it. Well, obviously, we know we do it in church. I mean, we, we fake it to make it. Where do you think that saying came from? It was a hypocrite. I don't know who, I don't know who made it up, but he's a hypocrite. Just fake it to make it. What do you mean? <laughs> just dress like success until you're successful. Really? Get that, man. You need to just follow Jesus. Amen? Put away the hypocrisy. The fourth thing that he says here is he says, get rid of that envy. Envy is an ugly word, and I'm going to give you the definition of this. It means a state of ill will towards someone because of some real or presumed advantage experienced by such a person. And so sometimes it's something that you see in someone's life. You may see a person get a position that you wanted in a job, in the church, wherever it may be. You may see someone who is having children, this abundance of family, and so you begin to have an envious heart. You remember Rachel and Leah, there was some envy going on. Rachel wasn't able to, you know, bear kids. Leah was just popping them out, glory to God. Leah, there, there was some envy, there was some stuff that was going on inside of her. She would want to kill her sister, but, you know, she wasn't crazy like that. But there were some things going on. There was this envy. And so what happens is you'll see somebody else's life, and this is how you can tell that you're really just envious. Really check your heart when someone gets something. Do you really rejoice? Do you really, I mean, really inside of you, is there like joy, like if you got it? That's the question. If you were to get it, there would be some joy bubbling up. There would be some stuff going on inside of you. Man, I got this. I'm excited. When they get it, are you really like, man, they got it? Are you like, man, that's messed up, man. Yeah, I'm happy for you. Praise God. God is good. <laughs> so you're like borderline envious, right? Here's the thing. You might just be a little jealous. You might be a little covetousness or whatever, you know, or, you know might, might be coveting a little bit here. But here's the thing. When you're envy, man, you have ill will towards that person. It's not that you just don't want them to. You, 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 you want them to not have. You don't want just want what they have. You want them to not have it. You don't want them to have it. You know, that, 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 that's, where the, that, that's where the wrong part is. It's okay to look at something and say, man, you know, I'd love to have something like that. You know, I'd love to have a family like that. I'd love to, you know, maybe drive a car like that, whatever. The case. I'm not saying you should lust after those things. The point of the matter is there's nothing wrong with admiring something that someone has. It's a different thing when you just don't want them to have it. That's a totally different scenario. And these kind of things happen with us as Christians, as brothers and sisters in Christ. It happens with us in the church. If not, Peter would not be saying, put these things aside. And I want you to understand who he's talking to because this is very important that you get this. He said, in the beginning of this, what did he say? He said, since you have already purified your souls by obedience to the truth. So he is talking to people that he is considering Christian for sure. He is talking to people that he believes you are true believers, you are true brothers. You should be loving one another and these things will hinder you from loving one another. And the last thing he says this, he says, and put away the evil speaking or the word is slander. And when I looked up this word slander, it means defamation. Evil speaking has such senses, and it means to importune with speeches. It's like pestering someone with speeches. It means to prattle. It means to blurt out. It means to accuse, or it means to calumniate, which means to accuse somebody falsely or to slander someone. When I looked up the word slander, I said, I wonder if you can slander someone with the truth. Can you slander someone with the truth if you do it with the wrong intention? If you just go and you just blow someone's spot up and you didn't even come confront them in love and deal with that, that is incorrect. 
That is not the biblical way to do things. You don't just blow someone. I don't just get up in here and say, I'm going to just use Jimmy as an example today because he's sitting right there and I know this is not true. But, you know, Jimmy, you know, I find out that Jimmy is just being just like unfaithful in so many areas of his life. And I just get up in front of the church and I say, listen, church, I just want you to know I found out that Jimmy is not obeying the Bible in this. He's breaking six of the Ten Commandments and he is a heathen. Now listen, that would be me slandering him. That would be me totally blowing up his spot. And I haven't even come to him in love and say, hey, man, these things is what I found out about you. What do you you say about this? I didn't even give him an opportunity to repent. That can be slander because I'm not doing what is Bible. I'm not doing what the scripture says. You see someone who was caught up in sin, what does the Bible say? Put him on blast in front of the church? Is that what he says? No. He says to restore such a one, right, in a spirit of gentleness. Man, consider yourself lest you be tempted also. That's what he says to do. He communicates how we're supposed to deal with these things. And so slander, you can be, you, you can be telling the truth and you're just a gossip. It's a talebearer. You just want to tell everybody someone's business. That's what it is. That's what a talebearer is. You're telling tales. You're bearing tales. That's what it is. I don't know what that word was for a long time. I was like, what is it? Tailbearer. You're just telling tales. You're just bearing that tale everywhere you go. Hey, this is what happened. This was so, you know what so-and-so did? And don't be doing that stuff in the name of prayer either. Get in a prayer circle. Listen, you know, I'm, I don't know. Don't be doing that stuff, man. Acting all spiritual because you want to be a, a spiritual gossip. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's some things that you need to be private on. Love covers all sin. That's what the Bible says. It doesn't mean it excuses it. It means it covers it, man. You don't want your brother or your sister to continue to walk in that sin. And you don't want them to be, you know, their their whole character be defamed in front of everyone. Unless they're unrepentant of their sin. If they're unrepentant, then that's when you bring them before the church. And you say, listen, this person we've confronted on a one-on-one. This person we've confronted with the leadership. This person we've confronted with scripture. And they choose not to repent. And so you as our witnesses... Talk to this person, and hopefully they repent. And if they don't repent, then you ask them to leave. That's what the Bible says to do. That's how you deal with the disciplines in the church. But it's not by being slanderous, making false accusations. And the worst thing is, the negative side of this is when it's not even the truth. You didn't even find out if it was true. Be horrible. I heard all this stuff about Jimmy, didn't find out if any of it was true, and then I just get up and say all this craziness about him, be like, oh, my goodness. And then you come to find out none of it was true. Someone made it up. It wasn't even the way that it came out to be. And so it's important that we consider those things. Now, here's what Peter is telling us. He's telling us that we should repent of these sins, that we should recognize these as those weeds that will grow up in our lives that don't need anything to grow. They will just grow because it is part of a corrupt, sinful nature. And he says to put those things away. And what happens is when we repent of our sin, that makes room for God's word to work in our hearts. When we do not repent of our sin, when we do not acknowledge the areas of malice or deceit or hypocrisy or envy or slander or all of the other sins that we'll talk about in many and plenty messages that we get into, when we do not repent of those sins, you know what we are doing? We are rejecting God's word. When I do not repent of sin, I reject God's word. I'm not rejecting the messenger. If Pastor Chad comes and rebukes me about a sin in my life, he confronts me about a sin in my life, I'm not rejecting him. I am rejecting God of the Bible. I am rejecting the scriptures. That is who I am rejecting. 
And so when I am rejecting that, I am saying, no, I refuse to repent. And so what happens? Spiritual growth is hindered. Why does that matter? Listen, I want you to get this. Your spiritual growth is not solely about you. It's about everybody in this place. It's not solely about you getting to some higher spiritual level of utopia or wherever you're trying to get. It's not about that. It's not about you feeling like you're walking on clouds. That's not it. It is about you being a brother, a sister that is walking in the grace and the power of God and helping each other grow the way God calls us to grow. The third thing I'll ask you to to repeat after me is this. Our hearts towards God's word must always be childlike, not childish. I heard, a, I heard a singer in, in one worship and praise CD, and they were talking about this and how the Bible says you must become like a child to enter into the kingdom of God. And, as he, and what he was saying in the exhortation, he said, in order to do that, you must become like a child, but not childish. So you don't become, you don't stay immature. In other words, when Peter is talking here, and we'll read verse 2 together, he says, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. That you may grow thereby. He says, as newborn babes, so as babies, this is how we should be as Christians. We should always desire the pure milk of the word of God. Growth is not the focus here. Growth is the end result. The focus is desiring the pure milk of God's word. The thing that we got to get is that our greatest passion should not be spiritual growth, but it should be for the organic, the unadulterated, unmixed word of God. That is what this word here means. It means the organic. It means the unadulterated, the unmixed word of God. That should be what we hunger for. And here is the reality is that many of us, are, we, we fill our lives with other things. We don't have a hunger for God's word. We don't thirst for God's word. We may fill our lives with other stuff that is good, such as you may be a person, you love worship and praise. You love worship and praise music. You get down worship and praise. You may be a person, you love to pray. And so what you do, your greatest spiritual discipline, you turn on that worship, you get into that prayer closet, you experience God's presence, God starts touching you, you may start weeping, have this great time in the Lord, because I'm not going to say it isn't God, but here's what happens. If you don't get into the word of God, your relationship with God becomes dependent upon those experiences instead of the word of God. He says to desire the pure milk as newborn babes. Babies that, look, they just yell, cry. They want their milk. That's what they want. They're hungry. That's what they want. That's what they desire. They don't care who's around. They, don't, they, do, they do not care what is going on. They don't care if their mother happens to be breastfeeding, if she's going to have to be embarrassed. It does not matter. Baby is hungry. Baby is going to eat. That's what, and, and, and what God is saying is that we need to be the same way. We need to make sure that the primary hunger and thirst in our lives, some of us, here's here's another thing, because I I want you to get this. Some of us, we love to listen to preachers. Love it. I I love to listen. There's, There's one person that I love to listen to. I quote him more than anybody else that I ever listened to, and that would be Mark Driscoll. But you know what I what I do? I listen to one message of his per week. Because if not, I will sit there and spend hour upon hour upon hour just listening to what he's saying instead of reading my Bible. And all of my doctrine will be built on Mark Driscoll's doctrine, not solely the scriptures. There's some great men and women of God out there. There's some great people. But some of you can quote your your, your great folks better than you quote your Bible. 
And you fill your life. You have your prayer time. You have whatever. You fill your life with this listening to this one or that one or whatever the case is. God says, hunger for my word. Unmixed, unadulterated. God wants us to do what? Meditate upon his word. Let his word conform you to his likeness. Let his word transform you and make you like he's called you to be. And in closing, I say this. Our hunger for God's word begins with our experience of his grace. He says in verse 3, he says all of this, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. And what he's saying is this, when he, when he says that word, if indeed, you can take the if out, and he said, indeed, you have tasted, since you have tasted. See, here's the thing. You and I, we cannot, we cannot be born again unless we experience God's grace. We cannot be born again unless we experience, and when he, when he uses the word taste, I love it. It went with the psalm that we read this morning, Psalm 34. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. I want you to understand this. Nowhere does the Bible discourage us from experiencing God's goodness. If we don't experience his goodness, we're never going to appreciate his goodness. And he's saying, listen, since you've tasted, since you've tasted, since you've tasted God's goodness, since you've tasted God's grace, since you've tasted that, desire this word. Since you've tasted that, continue to come back and feast on that word the grace of God that is revealed. Everybody in this place, whether you realize it or not, you have experienced God's grace. Some of us just haven't acknowledged it. You're breathing today, that's God's grace. If you have a job today, that's God's grace. If you don't have a job today and you're collecting an unemployment check, that's God's grace. It may not be the super abundant amount that you would like to have or whatever the case may be, but it's God's provision in your life. It's his grace. And some of us don't even appreciate it. We don't even acknowledge it. But you know what? Today, he wants you to appreciate it. He wants you to acknowledge that. He wants you to experience his grace. And he wants you to walk out of here with a grateful heart that hungers after his word. So I'll stand to our feet and bow our heads.